the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into hour two this Monday, it's a delight to have in studio with us uh, George Kaloff. He is uh, our regular political analyst and uh, commentator on political news of the day, president of Data Orbital and managing partner at the Resolute Group, both based here, uh, blessedly in Phoenix, but uh, with national and some international relations um, and uh, clients as well. And while George and I typically uh, speak on Fridays and do political summaries. I wanted to experiment with with you, George, and tell the audience, because it turns out a lot of politics gets discussed on these Sunday shows. You and I don't watch them as much, but a lot of people do. So sometimes I thought it might be fun to kind of take a look at what the political week looks like or what the summary from the Sunday shows, the consensus of the talking points from both parties is all about. Of course, all the oxygen would have been uh, sucked up in the mushroom cloud of this arraignment that's going to take place with yes. Donald Trump tomorrow and a fair amount of analysis around that. Uh, any takes you have on, on, on where this goes and how this helps uh, anyone, if it helps anyone, including Donald Trump or another primary challenger or the Democrats? Uh, who are the winners and who are the losers here, short term and long term? Yeah, uh, there's been very few things that have brought together Republicans from all shapes, sizes, colors, and even some Democrats in uniformly uh, either being perplexed or thinking that what the DA in New York is doing is a bad idea because it allows uh, Trump to enamor people with him. Yes, people that uh, have long been with him, of course, but there's others that are skeptical that just think that it's just not okay that this is happening, that of all of the things that has occurred in our political dynamic or that we've heard about in the last number of weeks, that this is what the, or the all straw the crimes that, in Manhattan for that matter. Right. right? This was yeah. the straw that right. broke the camel's right. back. People right. are perplexed. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to discredit at all what happened, but even of all the things that he has been accused yeah. of doing, <laughs> right. this seemed and there's been a lot of commentary about how why was this the one that stuck and the D.A. right before him actually had this thing go away. And then he Bragg brought it back right. recently to try to pin the, the, the former president. And again, I think I think it's. Uh, I mean, look, I don't know. I think it's it's a little too early to tell on if it's good or bad for the Democrats. I think it's definitely good for Donald Trump. I mean, there's one person who this is uniformly good for, and it's him. Because, look, we know human culture, or you, we know the human psyche and, and the American culture. And that says that when someone is this hated, it tends to endear a certain segment of the population to him, at a minimum to say, I don't understand why everyone hates him. And because you hate him this much, it makes me want to stand by him. Again, very early, and I don't like to talk. Uh, I don't like to kind of take too much weight in terms of the national polling in the presidential race. But we have noticed, and there's been a lot of commentary on this, that in the last week or two since all this has been announced, the gap between Trump and DeSantis has widened pretty dramatically. Now, again, we don't elect our presidents nationally; we elect them state by state. But 
there's one person this is good for at a minimum in the primary. This is Donald Trump. That doesn't mean it's likely he wins in the general. I don't know. That analysis, it's really early to tell in terms of how this plays out. It's definitely good news for him in the primary. And it's good news in the short term beyond argument, I think. I have questions about whether it's good for him in the long term. But it might be really bad news for Ron DeSantis short and long term. Because some of the discussion about Ron DeSantis is he really needs to get in or get out pretty soon. Um, At least a lot of the discussion has been that. And he can't really get in right now in the short term lest it look like he's kind of stomping on Donald Trump's legal problems. And the long-term problem is how much longer can he wait and how much longer does he have to wait before he can get in so that he doesn't look like he's dancing on Donald Trump's legal grave. I think I think DeSantis may be a loser here. He is in Maybe. A, he is in a very difficult position because this is also given an opportunity not just for Donald Trump, for all the other primary opponents to come after him because, look, he is the second-place person. So if you're – Vivek, you're anyone else on that stage or that's going to be on the proverbial debate stage. You want to tear down Ron DeSantis. You know you can't tear down Donald Trump. Your only hope is that somehow there's a self-implosion. So this is taking – this is giving them an opportunity to go after after DeSantis. So I do agree in the short term. Could be in the long term. This is not a good thing for him and people have even used this in terms of his initial reaction to it. Look, I don't know that his initial reaction, I don't know what else he could have done. I think just him existing in this dynamic was going to cause difficulty. I don't know that he hurt or helped himself. Um, But again, look, somewhere, someone in the Democratic scheme is either thinking like they're going all in on this bet, right? This is either the thing that's going to save the White House for them because they're going to nominate Donald Trump and Donald Trump's going to be the, the, you know, uh, the the Republican nominee and they believe he is more beatable or they're going to totally miscalculate it and they're going to nominate Donald Trump, and somehow Donald Trump is going to win. Obviously, we don't know until we until we get there, uh, but uh, definitely Donald Trump wins with this in the primary. And again, I think the Democrats are taking a very um, very interesting uh, very interesting gamble with this. Someone who seemed not to care very much. We'll go to calls in a moment. Um, if people want to call in, I see a few do. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Anything on your mind? George is happy to field with me. Um, someone who seemed not to care too much about whether or not he was dancing on these legal concerns, was someone who announced a White House bid today, Asa Hutchinson, former former governor of uh, – yeah, former Republican governor of Arkansas. Arkansas. He announces today. And the first thought is, well, what the heck does he bring to this? We've got uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley and probably Mike Pompeo and a few others out there that have been talked about. Why is he running? And then, again – you know, we've talked about this, but there is there is a highway littered of people we thought would be the nominee and they weren't, um, whether it's Fred Thompson or Rudy Giuliani or Scott Walker or any number. So I don't know what 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 does Asa Hutchinson bring and what is the point of him <clears throat> entering this speech contracts, book contracts or the potential to actually be the nominee? Look, I, I think there's a whole bunch of reasons to do it. I was, uh, I had opportunity to be in a small group, uh, sit down with him a he was number here, of yeah, yeah a number of weeks ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I was oddly impressed. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I believe that he has a path. Right. There's many reasons to do this. There's a reason to do it for a cabinet secretary position. There's a reason to do it to increase your national profile. There's a reason to do it because you feel like you have two cents that you want to give into it. And he entered today for a very intentional reason. He is overtly going to take up the lane. Yeah of anti-Trump and that this is going to discredit Trump from winning the nomination. I don't know that I agree with that political calculus, but that's the lane he's owning. And look, kudos to him. Like, you know your lane, you own your lane. Yeah. 
Now, I, I don't know how that's going to pan out. I, I would I would venture to say that you don't get the nomination that way. Yeah. Um, but he's he's owning it. And look, he's been he's been traveling the country has a pack. And, and again, at the end of the day, there's there are there are uh, uh, much less uh, plausible people that have run for for president. Sure. Before. Sure. Um, in both parties. And a uh, question I wanted. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, the mind reels <laughs> caught me off guard there. The mind reels. But, George, this possibly against interest. Uh, you used the phrase he's figured out his lane. Do we think too much about lanes? Does your business think too much about lanes? I ask that. It's not something that would have occurred to me uh, until I was reading a column by Jim Garrity at National Review last week who was looking at uh, announcements for the presidency uh, up until the 1990s, uh, particularly Ronald Reagan's announcements in 76 and or 75 and 79 for the 76 and 80 campaigns, where he didn't even use the word conservative. He didn't think about lanes, according to Garrity. Um, he talked about broad visions of the country and let 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 that stand for itself. And somewhere we got into this, and I don't know when it started, this notion of having a lane and having a certain direction. And I mean, I think you with the, I think with Nikki Haley, it's what, foreign policy and, and this sort of thing. Do we make a mistake on doing that? Or is it the only way to really distinguish yourself early on as to the importance of the issues that will resonate? 100% agree that only political consultants and people like you and I and others like us that talk in lanes what I think I, the reason why I use that nomenclature, and I often give candidates the box speech. What box are people going to put you in? Yeah. Because while voters don't think in lanes, I do believe everyone makes uh, judgments on individuals, mm-hmm. and so they have a perception of Donald Trump. They have a perception of Ron DeSantis. That to me is the lane that we're going to try to occupy. And so my question to candidates is: Is the perception that people are going to have of you does that match what you're trying to sell? And then most importantly. Are there enough of those types of people to win yeah. an election? Yeah. And yeah. so when we talk like that, likely there's not enough of those types of people to allow Asa Hutchinson to win. There likely could be for DeSantis, maybe for others. But that's where you start doing that uh, that calculus. But I agree with you. Voters don't think in terms of lanes. Voters want a vision for America. And I'll, and I'll tell you, and this is an, an unfortunate thing, uh, the, the world that Ronald Reagan ran in is a very different yeah. world than the country's yeah. in today. And we are a lot more... Uh, tribal. I'm not saying it's a good thing and we should promote it, but it's a it's a reality that we have to contend with. That's a fair point. The word conservative in 75 was probably used about 100 percent less than it is used now. Yeah, that's an interest. It might not have meant a damn thing when he, yes. if he were to have used it. Yeah, fair point outside of the National Review readership, I suppose. George Kaloff and I'll be right back and yeah, happy to take your calls on anything you want. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff is our guest from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. The other uh, political institution making news is this um, new party or new non-party called No Labels. They have uh, put together a tremendous fundraising machine. They're now here registered in Arizona, I guess, yes. as a viable uh, uh, as a viable and legitimate, legitimate party. Um, these are people who don't want to be affiliated with the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I have my own suspicions about that sort of thing. But a lot of the Democrats seem to be more upset with them, or at least a lot of the Democratic establishment seems to be more upset with them than the Republicans. What 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 are you picking up on this thing? Look, I, I our know. Senate race may have an implication for it, yes. by the way. Yeah, 100 percent. I think – because the United States of America only has two parties, and unlike what we see happen in Europe and other places, which you and I have talked about, we don't have a parliamentary system. You can't just 
wake up tomorrow, you and I come together and make a new party. It's very difficult. So one, I'm already skeptical anytime there's a new party because it tends to not pan out very well. But what they're trying to do is say, look, we want to affiliate as a political party. We can't just be independent because I there's real no lane. Talk about lanes uh, in the prior segment. There's no lanes for someone who's an independent. You can't really get anywhere in terms of uh, major offices to to the large degree. Um, you you said it uh, very well. Democrats are the most anxious about this because they feel like and they understand that the majority of Republicans that we're already going to vote for Trump are going to lock in. So let's just pick on the presidential race for a second or that type of race. They're going to lock in. They're not going anywhere else. The types of Republicans that wouldn't have voted for Trump, where were they going to go? And two options. They went to the Democrat. So in this scenario, if they go for the no label, yeah, that, that is a big problem. Right, because the defection appeals votes away from the the defections from the Republicans have already defected. There's a realignment that's occurring, and so Democrats thought they were going to be a benefactor. But the purpose of this is that there's individuals in the No Labels Party that don't want to be Democrats. They don't care necessarily for the Republicans for a whole host of issues. I mean, we could do a whole show on unpacking the why behind that. I'm not even sure they're 100 percent certain of their why, but it totally makes sense why the Democrats are uh, are are uh, skeptical of it. And and you you hit the nail on the head. The implication is in Arizona, could there be? A Senator Cinema who is of the No Labels Party versus an independent, could that be the vehicle? And the biggest difference is for those that follow this type of political stuff, if you run as an independent, you have to collect something like 40,000 petition signatures. If you run as a No Labels Party, it's a fraction of that. Yeah. That is the biggest difference for someone like Senator uh, Well, Senator. I remember the day that she uh, left the Democratic Party. I was thinking this wasn't much uh, of a big deal, and you convinced me otherwise. And then the first thing you said, though, but her first hurdle will be signature collection. Because we didn't have this on the horizon. This takes that problem away. Worth pointing out, she's not announced that she's running no. for any kind of election. Worth pointing out, someone who has announced, uh, Ruben Gallego, uh, came in with a pretty good haul today, right? Just south of $4 million yeah. in the first quarter. Just, by the way, to put it for perspective, that is a massive haul for anyone on any in any party to run in. And that just goes to show how much money all these Senate races are going to continue to be. And again, there's no Republican candidate right now. There's rumors of who that could or couldn't be. But this is a big deal if you're Ruben Gallego to raise this much money from over 100,000 people. And the big thing that he wanted to point out compared to cinema is she does not have the same uh, grassroots infrastructure in terms of uh, raising money. And that he has gained, uh, you know, the way that he said it is he gained more in his cash on hand than she did, even though she has a lot of obviously she has about 10 million. But that's from prior. Sure. Funds, and but that's, this would, that's kind of the headline to me is this is money that normally one would have thought would have gone to her to maintain a, a Democrat in that seat, so to speak. Right. It's very clear the rank and file progressive is not happy with Kirsten Sinema. Right. So she needs to find, a, you know, speaking again of lanes, she right. needs to find the other segment of the population, which is the most difficult segment to find because everyone wants to disaffiliate from the team that's until right. – Captains are picking the team. That's right. And then what do you do? You want to get on a team. So either you make a third team, but being teamless is not really a thing in our political. Well, yes, being teamless or being non-ideological. So let's assume for the sake of argument, she does get enough signatures and she is running for re-election and she decides to go with no labels or some other label, non or, 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 or not Democrat, not Republican. So you have a Democrat in Gallego, you have Kirsten Sinema, and you have Republicans. Kirsten Sinema is going to be betting on the fact that she would have to be betting on the fact that enough Republicans will leave the Republican nominee to support her. I don't know that that works. I don't think there's enough Republicans that will vote for someone who's 98 percent on a voting record with Joe Biden. just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, she needs enough Republicans, yeah. enough Democrats, and she needs a heck of a lot of independents, yeah. people that have prided themselves as being labelless, yeah. to come with her. She needs a coalition. 
that is the Emmanuel Macron coalition, the president of France, he needs that here in America, which is a very difficult thing. But there are examples of it, Macron being one of them. And there's others in, in the country that have done that. Very different, though, and people point out, different than Bernie Sanders running as an independent or what Murkowski was going to do in, uh, in, in Alaska. Those are incumbents that had lanes that didn't have one of the major parties. So imagine that Gallego doesn't run. She's an independent. Very different. But when you have a Democrat and a Republican and an independent, that's a different dynamic. And that's not something that has traditionally happened in our country. In Arizona, we have a high percentage. It might be the highest by plurality percentage of people who don't identify, registered, are, are not registered with the Republican or Democratic Party. Do we have a sense of their um, their their voting behavior, not in terms of who they vote for R or D, but in terms of do they vote? Are they are they an active are they an active population, an active voting population? These people that refuse to dem- to that act affirmatively say well, we're we're registered, but we're not registered R or D. They are the least active of the three. That's what I would have so guessed. I'm not saying that they're right. not active. They're not voting in like 10, 15 yeah. percent. They're maybe in the 50s and 60s, in depending on the election. Yeah. Could be low 70s. But that they are 10, 15, 20, 25 points sometimes below their Republican and Democratic counterparts because the whole reason that oftentimes people um, affiliate as an independent is not just because they're done with this party, done with that party. They are politically ambivalent. So they need to be woken up. There is a way to do it. Donald Trump woke up a very different type of person. Mm -hmm. He woke up a whole bunch of ambivalent political people Mm -hmm. in middle America. Mm -hmm. And that's why he became president in 2016. So if somehow cinema finds a way to do it, which she is one of the smartest politicians out there. Then maybe there's a there's a path, but it's 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 not an easy one for sure. At the presidential level, it's almost impossible, right? I mean, if someone like Teddy as an independent, yeah, as if Teddy Roosevelt can't do it with his name ID, and if Ross Perot can't do it with his money, right? I mean, this this is a practically unheard of thing. People can lament the two party process all they want, but it's what we got, right? We our system is literally set up to almost prohibit. I'm not saying 100 percent, but close to 100 percent prohibit third-party candidates from entering into the political fray for a whole post of reasons because let's just start the most basic thing. A network would just say, hey, no, you're not, you're not viable enough. I'm not going to let you on the debate stage. And how are you going to get your message out there? Right. Okay, unless you're a, a, a cajillionaire. But like you said, in his time, Ross Perot might as well have been a, a, a trillionaire and right. he spent a lot of money and fine, he got a lot of he got a no high percentage, votes. but got no electoral votes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, George. Thank you. Thanks for coming in on a Monday. I really appreciate it. Always good to be on Monday. We'll, through we'll keep them confused. <laughs> we'll keep the we'll keep we'll keep the enemies confused. We'll bring him in on some Mondays. We'll bring him in on some Fridays. I've got a an, an interesting uh, guest coming up. Uh, first time. On uh, this show, some people know um, the name uh, Sorbo. Sam Sorbo is going to be joining us uh, talking about a new film that uh, she just uh, put out. So bear with us, and uh, I think you're going to like this. The film is called Irreligious. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to welcome to the show, first time here, uh, actress and uh, producer, activist Sam Sorbo. She and her husband are out with a brand new documentary, Irreligious Nation. You can get it at SalemNow.com. Sam, thanks for joining us on the Airwaves of Phoenix, and thanks for putting this documentary together. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Uh, for some of the audience that may not know you, and as I do with regular, I do regularly with first-time guests, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to be uh, making this uh, this documentary, Irreligious Nation. 
so, okay. So I, I'm an actress, and uh, I produced a movie a few years back that was that was instigated by this idea that I had. I was busy educating my three children at home, and I realized that their faith was being tested in myriad ways every single day, and I just thought, what would it be like if the if if like an atheist had their faith tested the way that my kids' faith is being tested? And the more I thought about that, the more I thought that's a movie I'd like to see. And so I, I wrote it, and then it simply got funded out of thin air. Two weeks later, I think that God wanted to have the movie get made, and we made it and put it in theaters. And um, my husband starred in it, and he directed it, and I produced it. Um, I co-wrote it with a very well-known writer named Dan Gordon. It's called Let There Be Light, yep. and it did very well in theaters. And so since then, I would say, you know, this is sort of a, a little bit of a mission of mine is, mm-hmm. is to, to spread the word oh. and to share the truth with people. And the, the more I do it, the more re- I realize how we've been so abused by our, our system of schooling that we have in the United States. And really uneducated and miseducated. Um, and so the the idea of going to Israel was just, it was, um, it, it was sedu- uh, seductive for us. We, we wanted to go, we wanted to take the kids to Israel. We wanted to lead this tour. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we, if we could make a documentary to, to memorialize the trip, so to speak. Um, and I talked with uh, Joe Kakady, who was an individual who wanted to come to Israel with us, and he wanted to bring his family. And he was sort of going through this this sort of exploration with his family of, you know, how important is religion? How important is faith to us, to us as a family and to us as a nation, as a culture? And so out of that grew this documentary. It's kind of interesting that uh, this documentary, Irreligious Nation, kind of takes the view from while you were in Israel, kind of learning about this, but really addressing how it is in America and really maybe throughout all the West. This is a country that was founded upon religious freedom and perhaps really considered our first freedom. And it's odd now at a time of so much freedom, so much liberty in this country, we may be at in some ways our least religious moment. The Wall Street Journal did an interesting poll that came out last week. Uh, The percentage of Americans who say religious values are important to them is at an all-time low. Church attendance probably at an all-time low. Kind of interesting with the expansion of so much freedom in this country based on our first freedom, perhaps, that we're not, we're just, religion is kind of taking it in the chin, isn't it? Well, I don't think it's based on our freedoms. I think it's that we're, we're being diseducated. Okay. We're being educated away from religion. Okay. And the reason I say that is because we think that we took religion out of the schools when we took the Bible out, but we didn't. We okay. simply replaced yeah. the Judeo-Christianity that had been in the schools with another religion, and that is irreligion. Yeah. And there is no vacuum. There is no void. You're either one or the other. Mm-hmm. And um, and so now we're, we're, we're experiencing a lot more of the other, I would say. Um, and it's going very poorly for us, uh, especially in our schools, as you see. I mean, I just tweeted today about in um, Pennsylvania, they're now basically banishing parents from the conversation yeah. of a child becoming transgender. Yeah. No, it's a really good point, because by removing the Bible or God, it has filled a vacuum that is—and that vacuum is filled with 
things that are treated as if it's a religious cult or a religious fanaticism, uh, brooking no dissent or toleration, unless, of course, you are to bring in the Judeo- J- Jewish or Christian faith. One, uh, I think it was Michael Novak a few years back said the only bigotry left, um, the only credible bigotry left in America at this point is anti-Christian bigotry. Let me pick up on some of that with you when we come right back. This was a short segment. We have a longer one uh, right after this brief commercial break. We'll be right back with Sam Sorbo, her new documentary, Irreligious Nation, available at SalemNow.com. Sam and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It is a privilege and honor to have with us uh, actress and filmmaker, producer Sam Sorbo. Her new documentary, Irreligious Nation, Irreligious Nation. It's available at SalemNow.com. Sam, you were um, you were just talking before the break. We take God or the Bible or at least the biblical values, out of our schools, something's going to replace them. You know about child-rearing, of course. Children want to follow something strong. Something has replaced religion in our schools, and it's almost coming at the children and the parents, quite frankly, with a th- the- the- all, some kind of theological fanaticism. I was looking at your uh, Twitter page earlier. Yes, you were talking about and you had made mention of what's taking place in Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't think there's a state immune from these kinds of efforts to have the state and the school system try and take the kids from um, the take the kids most 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 intimate decisions away from the parents. But this is the kind of stuff we're used to seeing in societies that think of religion as a crime. This is the kind of thing we're used to seeing in places like Cuba, China, Soviet Union of yore, right? Right. And and here's the thing, like, don't think that we've replaced religion. We've replaced religion with another religion. It's another religion. Yeah. And so if you think that your child is not being indoctrinated in another religion— you've got another thing coming. That's exactly what they're doing, is they're indoctrinating the children because because education is actually doctrine. Mm-hmm. Education mm-hmm. is trying to teach a child how to live life, how to live it properly, how to live it for his betterment, how to, how to, how to succeed at life. What they did was they convinced us, let's take, let's take uh, you know, the Bible out, because who wants the Bible? And education should just be academic. And now what they're saying to us, because Oregon just passed, well, they passed a law a couple of years ago that you don't need to read or do math to graduate high school. So now they're actually coming clean and they're saying, yeah, you know what? It's not really about academics. It's about doctrine. Mm -hmm. And they've got this different doctrine and it's a doctrine of lies. So it really amounts to child abuse. But we're so... We, we've been so um, conditioned by our own experience at school to believe school good, school good, because mommy and daddy couldn't have been wrong mm-hmm. sending us to school, mm-hmm. but they were. And we can't be wrong sending our child to school, but you are because you're putting your child in danger. What do you tell, uh, what do you tell parents who say, I don't know what other options I have? Home learning. Yeah. This is, it's, it's it's what I, I um, well, I train on it. I've written the playbook for home learning. 
There's a 15 video series that goes along with it because it's, it's somewhat interactive because you need to undo a lot of the damage that the school did to you. And once you do that, you can be set free. And I have people coming up to me. This happened just over the weekend. I was at a conference and a woman came up to me and said, oh, my gosh, I thought it was you. I was at the conference that you did last year. I can't remember where it was, but I was the woman who stood up and I raised my hand. I said, I can't I don't believe I can do this. I don't know what the regulations are. I don't know what's required. I, I need to have a book or something to show me how to do this. But the school is killing my child. Mm -hmm. The school is telling my child that he's not good enough. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's become so burdensome, and it's destroying my relationship with my child. And he's only nine. That's right. And there's got to be a better way. Right. And she learned through the talk that I gave. I, get, I guess it gave her enough confidence, she said. So she started last year, and she came up to me this year and said, it's changed our lives. We're so much better it was hard at first, but it's gotten so much easier, and we're so blessed. And thank you for 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 you know pushing me, for encouraging me, and that's that's my mission in life is to emancipate parents and their children from the slavery that exists in our schools. And it is enslavement. It is when you teach a child the lie that they can change their gender at will. That's enslavement. And it's, it's a restoration. The pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. When you tell a child to go on puberty blockers mm -hmm. that will damage them for life, such that they will be enslaved the pharmaceuticals for the rest of their lives. When you mess with their bodies that way and encourage them to have surgery, that's abuse. It's such an odd turn from where we were. You know, when I was growing up, and I think you're probably a little younger than me, but when I was growing up, the whole notion of empowering children to be proud of who they were, that there's nothing wrong with their bodies, there's nothing wrong with being born a boy, and there's nothing wrong with being born a girl. This was the huge campaign of everything from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street to the Free to Be You and Me Miss Foundation stuff. Boy, it's taken a quick turn, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they... they they put it, they got it through under the guise of equality and fairness and I don't know what. Love is love. And now we've got pedophilia running rampant. Do we, do we have a notion, too, that if you listen carefully enough, whether it's to the president of the United States or whether it's to the teachers unions, you will hear them say occasionally the kids are ours when they're when when it's the school hours, you know, eight to three or whatever. The kids, the children, they are ours. That's that should be a big wake up call, shouldn't it? I mean, that that is to it me. Yeah. OK, go ahead with that. It should be. And you know what? You're not in a position to disagree if you're right. if you're consigning your children into their care. Right. You, you've you've got no leg to stand on. The, so I don't know what you're hoping for. You're giving away your child every day for eight hours a day or whatever. On the issue. Stop doing it. That's, uh, that's all I can tell the people. Stop. Stop Just doing stop. it. I can yeah. show you how to get an education for your child. It's not as hard as they make it out to be. Oh, strange. They make it seem like it's really, really hard. I wonder why. Job security, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> On the issue, we're talking to Sam Sorbo of Irreligious Nation. On that issue of what is being replaced in the schools, taking the Bible or God out and replacing it with something else, is is it 
this campaign I've been on is 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 antagonistic towards the phrase "my truth." We've taken out the truth and replaced it with the individual prideful statement of "my truth." And I wonder if we might close the interview with you saying something about that danger. The the idea that you can have your own personal truth is the height of of um, hypocrisy, because you're not willing to extend that privilege to anybody else. That's right. If their truth doesn't agree with yours. So you become the center of your own universe. Well, good luck with that. It is not going to end well. It, it, it is the essence of pride, isn't it? It is the essence of pride in saying you you know more. It is our yeah. yeah it is our it's our attempt yeah, to overcome have, we, nature. We have no. pride. Yeah. We have pride parade. Yeah, right. Right. We're parading around. Yeah. yeah. One of the seven deadly sins, like yeah. it's the greatest blessing. Yeah. It's a sin. <laughs> it's deadly. It's deadly. Pride cometh before the fall. Folks. But we've we've abandoned all of the knowledge. We've abandoned our traditions. We've allowed the schools to steal the family unit. We've 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 lost the generational um, um, uh, intelligence that we had. You know. Sam Sorbo. We can get it back. We can turn it around in one generation. I think, people, I think people are going to love your clear and direct way of putting these things. I think that's what they are craving. They are craving clarity. Irreligious Nation, folks. You can get it at SalemNow.com. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Justin, you have been very patient. Thank you for your waiting, sir. You wanted to call in on having something to do with school safety, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Uh, long-time, long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, welcome. Thank you. Usually we don't have you hold so long. I appreciate your patience. No, no problem. It's a real important issue. First of all, I'm with the Defense of Our Children Crusade. It's going to be a nonprofit organization. And our mission is to ensure that every child in America is defended at school. Good. Um, our motto, no child is left undefended. And what our goal is, is to push for legislation, first starting in Arizona and then the rest of the country, is that we have security plans and protection of our schools, and that every school in America has at least a police officer or some kind of armed security guard. You know, sir, we have... What's the name of your organization, Justin? The Defense of Our Children Crusade. And does it have a website? Yeah, we're on uh, the Twitter. Okay. It's uh, Justin James at T as in Tom, D as in dog at double O-C. Mm-hmm. Justin James, T-D, double O-C-C. Okay. And we're on Facebook. And the name of our page is the Defense of Our Children Crusade. Great, great, great. I, nothing could be more important. Did you want to say another word on it? Exactly. Yeah. No. Thank you. Um, and to carry on to what uh, Mrs. Uh, um, Sorbo, yeah, Sorbo, Sorbo was saying. You know, there is a war on our children, and we saw this last week. It's gone from the spiritual and educational realm realm to a physical war. You know, that school was. You know, I can't prove it, but it was clearly targeted because they were children, and they were Christians, but most importantly, children. And oh, there are hundreds of schools in Nashville, hundreds of schools, none of them Christian. If, 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 if the roles were reversed, we know that this would have been a targeted hate crime killing, of course. Exactly. And, you know, I don't like to label things hate crimes. My dad was in law enforcement for 30 years. You know, a crime is a crime, but it is hate crime, like you said. Um, you know, I have four children, and just the other day, it was sad. You know, my eight-year-old was terrified to go to school. No children 
no child should ever be afraid to go to school except right. for now the bully or no that's a great point I, i'll end it there no child should be afraid to go to school and no school should be afraid of parental involvement and no administrator should be afraid of bringing the parents in with any discussion about anything serious having to do with their child. I think those three things should abide always and exclusively. Folks, let me put in a word for uh, Y-Refi, one of our sponsors, who offers you a portfolio unlike any other, where your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, no fees, secure, collateralized, high fixed interest rate up to 10.25%, not correlated to the stock market, or the Fed, why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. As I say, it can get you an up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888 YREFI34. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com